Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. Today I sit down with David Riefenberg and we talk about his life. Um, He's a musician, a life coach, a former pastor, and aspiring writer. And we get into his life, his upbringing, uh, starting a church, and sort of the trials and tribulations around that specific church. But before we get into that, thank you to Danny West, who does all the editing and sound engineering. Uh, thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums, I put you here in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, theruined.com is a place to go. Uh, if you, you want to hear more episodes of Desert Rain Community Radio, drcrpod.com, or wherever you found uh, this specific episode. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. I'm here with David Riefenberg. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Dory? Doing good. Do you... uh... Do you want to go? I call you Reef. Do you want to get called David, Reef, Dave? What's... Don't call me Dave. Okay. <laughs> so Reef is good? Reef is perfect. <laughs> um, the, the, I know you as the, or my, I guess my context of introduction was the the running madman. Mm. You've run, what, what are they called? Ultra marathons? They're called ultra marathons. Yeah. So. Um, For the ultra stupid. <laughs> <laughs> or, the, or the ultra committed or the ultra committed <laughs> we're making jokes about commitments and uh alternative lifestyles i guess mm, i.e yeah. cults um so that was probably four or five years ago and our friendship mm. relationship has evolved since then and um thank you for being on today man it's my pleasure so thanks, thanks for having me yeah so we usually lead off with this uh this idea or this question around what was your spiritual or religious upbringing as a child and, and teenage years. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I grew up in a, in a Christian home mm-hmm. grew up in the mountains of Colorado and, uh, the, the classic, you know, kind of country church with the steeple mm-hmm. and everything. So, Though it was non-denominational, it was pretty much a Baptist kind of church. You okay. Know, where you go to church every Sunday and there's Wanda uh, playing the organ. And, yeah. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, really two, two powerful things happened to me uh, when I was five. The first was uh, my parents brought home a piano. Mm. Now, I, I won't get into it here but uh, as to why this happened, but my mom had this interesting instinct and intuition, and she said um, that she, she felt I had the gift of music in me. Really? So, so that she sat me down on that piano at five years of age, and it was as if I, I, I came home. You know, it's wow. like coming coming alive. Yeah, and it was it was very powerful. Um, Were either of your parents musicians? No, 
No, they would they would tease me and say, "Son, we've got we've got two kinds of music in this house. There's there's country, and there's western, and we don't know what you're playing, but it ain't either one of those." Uh, they that's they pretty, weren't. Now I, I was ado- I was adopted, and uh, okay. that, that that can be a story for another another day. But but um, so my mom, I think, might have had some information mm. about my biological parents, and okay. so she. And anyway, so. So I discovered this amazing thing called music. Well, also when I was five, um, there was uh, the Sunday school teacher, Anna Gay McLaughlin. What a what an angel! What a saint! And, and back in those days, they had the felt board. Mm-hmm. Uh, people probably don't know what those are, but the little felt board Bible stories. Okay. And uh, one of them was on uh, Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. Mm. So. Uh, sometime I'm, I'm thinking it was when I was five. I woke up in the middle of the night and my heart was on fire. It was just beating so hard, and uh, I was remembering Anna Gay's Bible story. So I'm like, okay, I, I need to open the door to my heart. I was, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. a little kid. I'm trying to open. Nothing's happening. <laughs> and I, um, and then I got down. I just got out of my bed, got on my knees, and. You know, did the whole Jesus where you come into my life. And um, it was nothing. I mean, I forgot about it until years later. And, I, mm. and there was something that happened there. So I had these two powerful loves. Now, now I was the kind of kid, uh, it was the kind of church that every Sunday at the end of the sermon, doesn't matter what the sermon is, the pastor would say, look, every head bowed and every eye closed. And mm. if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, you know, raise your hand. Every Sunday, I'd raise my hand. I'd feel that beating. You know, the poor guy came up to me after a couple of years and said, uh, "Davy, that's what they called me when I was a kid. Davy, you don't have to raise your hand every Sunday. You know, once you get saved, you're good." You know, I couldn't help it. You know, it <laughs> you're just, like, "I want there was, it." There was just something there. You know, and you think about a small child, something precious there. I think. Yeah. So I grew up with these two great loves. Well. Uh, Early in my teen years, I, I encountered jazz. Mm. So if if discovering the piano was like uh, coming alive or, or coming home, jazz was like finding my language. Oh, it was wow. just amazing. So we had these uh, youth pastors, as churches do. And Do you remember what the first either uh, musician or song that like caught your attention? Keith Jarrett, the Cone Concert. I had a high school teacher, Jim Stranahan, and, and he, he said, look, he, they were, he was very into jazz. So he gave me a list of albums. Chick Corea, Light as a Feather, Oscar Peterson, uh, McCoy Tyner, Keith Jarrett, the Cone Concert. And I, uh, when I put that record on, it, it just blew my <laughs> mind. I mean, the guy played in Cone, and it was a, you know, two hours of just improv. I mean, basically, he was creating it on the spot. Okay, I didn't know that then. Right, so right, I, right, I right. thought that, that I thought there must be two or three people playing. Mm. You know? Anyway, it's a, it's an amazing thing. So, so I get into you know my my teen years, and there were these youth pastors there, and, and they had a piano upstairs where the youth group would meet on Sundays, and and I was playing something, and I and, you know they were very well intentioned, but they they said, um, you know that's not Christian music. Um, I think they stopped short of saying that 
the jazz was of the devil. It was the devil's but music. But again, a very impressionable young guy. And, and so... You understood the implication. The implication being, hey, you know, that's not music that brings glory to God, which seems maybe so trite, but it created this rift in me and an, an antinomous dissonance, mm. right? And so I, I thought, how could that be that I have these two great loves and they're opposed to each other? So that informed a lot of my early years trying to follow Jesus. How old were you when that conversation occurred? I mean, I'm just making up numbers here. I okay. could have been 80, but I think it was maybe 14, 13. Okay. Um, might have been 15. Yeah. I don't know. Important, so, either of those, any of those ages, it's important time in your life. It, yeah. You know, those are the formative, yeah. formative times. And, and I just had... So, you know, I look back now and realize I had, you know, I had encountered Christ. Yeah, you know, just, absolutely. And, and, and didn't have the languaging for it or the theology for it. But uh, I was made to do music, you know. So these things would, would fight. And so I, I, I was the prodigal son for a number of years just pursuing music. And then, oh, my God, goodness, I would, I would come back and, I remember one time I, I really wanted to, to recommit to, to Christ. And so I, I had amassed a collection of maybe 150, 200 great jazz records. So I went and sold them <laughs> and gave the money to the church. Of course. Which, again, might sound foolish. It, just, it, it, it pains me even now to, to remember that. But, but the intent was, man, I, I really want Christ. Right. So... Um, so yeah, that there was there was that thing, and I, and you know this may be a massive over, overstatement, Dorian, and um, maybe totally false, but my perception, my observation, my experience has been that there's <laughs> there's a tenuous relationship between the church and not just music, but the arts, mm -hmm, you know, the right. poets, and and I think some of it is, um, well, you know, a musician a worship leader, an artist, a poet can get right underneath the uh, theology of it to, to what really, you know, they can, uh, they connect us to, to that which is greater, mm -hmm, you know, right. um, nobody ever remembers their favorite sermon, but everybody knows their favorite song. Mm -hmm. And so, a, a, you know, a musician in a church service can reach places in mm -hmm. people that, few great preachers even can you know it's a it's amazing so so the church loves that right we like we like the talent we like the charisma we like the anointing but for god's sake let's not have these people run in the place they might upend oh, everything I you see, see because the yeah, the, the yeah, language yeah. of art the language of poetry the language of music it kind of transcends our theology mm -hmm. and our doctrines and our creeds and it gets it gets a little messy so i didn't know all that thing you know well, I, and one of the thing to that same point um I can iconography in the in the Orthodox yeah. faith. You know, I, I was talking to a a, um, a father from the Orthodox tradition, and he and I've talked about this on the <clears throat> podcast, but he explained about how it's not an idol. What it actually is is a mirror, and so you gaze upon this beautiful art. You know, whether it's Mary or Jesus or you know whatever you know any sure. And that it releases something, it opens something up in you. Right. To have what you're talking about, where words sure. can't reach those depths. Yeah. 
of the theology or the message or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it might be. And it's, it's, um, it's hard to put words to, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you pointing out, pointing out that I'm kind of an ignorant wretch (laughs) because you you iconology. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't have that experience, but, but that's a beautiful way to describe it, isn't it? It's kind of a mirror. Um, and uh, a flashlight right into mm-hmm. our into our souls and it does it touches on i mean there's nothing wrong with the the theologies and the mm-hmm. traditions right absolutely but i think the, the the poets and the prophets tend to to uh where they just don't paint within the lines often and, and it so, stirs something differently and us. it does it stirs something yeah. quite differently you know a religious experience you can go to a, mm. a club and, and listen to your favorite band and feel that that connection that something more yeah that connection so so that was kind of it so i i, I would uh, I have periods where uh, i just go for the music and and do that and and probably from shame and, and guilt and religiousness you know god would be at a distance mm. and then i would come to my senses and uh, you know, try and try and come back, um, and, and uh, but yeah, I felt that that tension and that and that dissonance. And, so uh, when you say like you, you said like to follow the music or go after the music, are you talking like professionally? Oh yeah, or just yeah, okay. yeah I played professionally. Okay, in a former life, I was a musician. <laughs> Back in your sinful days, back in my sinful days, and I'm uh, interested in of late. I'm I'm returning, returning to those roots. It's been beautiful, yeah. So so what got me here to the to, uh, to El Paso was um, well, music and Jesus. <laughs> oh, okay. So they had they had merged at some point. No. No, no they, they've always been they merged. Must. It's just that again, in our in our, we've got to have things neat and clean and right, organized. And raise your hand if you want to get saved, but don't do it every Sunday for goodness' sake. So, play the piano, but don't play those songs. Yeah, play the piano. Um, yeah. So so, uh, what happened was I was just in a really dark place, pretty unraveled, and and um, you know. Now, going back, I will say those early experiences were, were powerful. I was a super shy kid, little mm-hmm. guy. I mean, so shy, I couldn't even call my own friends on the phone. I'd have to ask my mom to do it for me. So she got me playing in church, yeah. playing in church. First time I played, they had the offertory, right? You play the mm-hmm. music. Well, I played it so fast because I was so nervous and then felt embarrassed, ran out of the church. <laughs> no, come back. Yeah. Second, <laughs> second, second time they had me do it, I was so stressed. My knees were knocking, you know. They literally—I couldn't stop. My nose started bleeding. Ran out of the church. And how how old were you at that? I don't know, maybe 10, 11. So you'd been playing for some years. Yeah, I played, but not not a lot publicly. You know, my mom would my mom trying to draw me out whenever a company. Davey, go play the piano. You know, so yeah. But I remember just praying, God, you got to get me out of Denver. I'm going to die here. This would mm. this would been my my late teens. You know, I had uh, tried going to music school and and uh, was already playing professionally and just uh, you know dropped out of that. I had a day job. Was was doing music. Anyways, uh, 
a friend of mine, could, could you know, a fellow musician that we grew up together, Doug Jackson, great musician, he would try and get me gigs to, mm. to get me out of my, you know, he probably saw I was mildly suicidal and morbidly depressed. And, and this was me. all up in Colorado still? Yeah. Okay. He was in California by this time, but he'd call and say, hey, I, I got you a gig on a cruise ship. Mm. I don't want to play on a cruise ship. Yeah, that ridiculous. sounds terrible. <laughs> Anyways. You know what happens on cruise ships? Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> just. So. But he saw it as a lifeline for you. He's just trying to help me out. Yeah. And, and ultimately he did. He probably mm. saved my life because he, he knew Eric Bozeman. Mm. And um, Eric knew a guy named Tommy Walker. They had all gone to music school out there in Hollywood together. And they were wanting to put together a band, a Christian band, to go over to England and do, you know, contemporary uh, music mm -hmm. in the pubs and in the schools. And uh, I Is thought, well, now that's a novel idea. So we're actually going to combine cool music. Oh, and, cool, and, good music. Well, you know, it's subjective, right? Well, I, know, I mean, I know Eric Bozeman. He's an amazing musician. He is. So yeah. I, I can't imagine him putting together a... Well, the first time uh, Eric called me, you know, he had such a... A, a soft voice. I thought it was kind <laughs> yeah. of effeminate. And, and he said he had got my number from Doug Jackson. So I'm rolling my all, eyes already. He goes, we're putting together this Christian band and, and uh, we're, uh, we're going to go over to England and, and uh, you know, perform in schools. And right. we're going to do a lot of original music. And, and uh, your friend Doug says you're a great jazz pianist. Uh, would, you, would you be interested? And I said, well, okay, Christian... Well, you guys like to speak in tongues? Do you believe in the power of God? Do you call down fire? And because uh, I had experienced this stuff by this time, right? Oh, okay. But I said it kind of tongue in cheek, and he goes, "Well, yeah, I guess we do." And I said, "I'm not interested," and I hung up on him. <laughs> oh, wow! So it was, you were setting him up? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I I was just I don't know what I was. I was just being an idiot, ah, you know. Okay, okay. So yeah. then then I called Doug and asked him, "What the hell, dude?" So he explained, and and. You know, I mean, you can see it was God working. So, yeah, I, I came down here. It was music and Jesus. I came down to El Paso to join a band. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a T-shirt. That's a T-shirt. We might have to make some merch on this episode. Yeah, and, and I, I consider El Paso a lot like the Hotel California in that you can check out any time you want, but perhaps you can never leave. I was told I'd be here for a month. So, you know, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long it's been month. Decades. It's been about a 35-year your month that's but, uh, about a month muscle mentals but i think you know so it's music and jesus and 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 really a piece of salvation there plus is tommy walker related to dale walker he is okay. he's, he's dale's little brother okay you know? yeah tommy's tommy's a, quite an accomplished musician worship leader songwriter Interesting. Well, well known in in certain christian circles very accomplished guy and uh but you know God does his finest work in the desert. So, oh, yeah. Uh, and it takes a while. So, you know, you go, you, you can go to the mountains and the ocean and you see the, you see the vastness and, well, the beauty of, of God and his creation. But it's out there. You come to the desert and uh, it's a different kind of beauty. It's, it's mm -hmm. actually taken me years mm -hmm. to see that beauty. At first, I thought I landed on the moon. I yeah. honestly, honest to God did. I'm sure coming when from Colorado. I was Colorado. driving through I-10 coming into mm -hmm. El Paso. Uh, yeah, that drive I, I, I had cruises. just left literally a four-foot snowstorm <laughs> driven through black ice in New Mexico, and I encounter 
And I thought, my God, I've landed on the moon. Were the dairies there already? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. They were probably, probably. there. Probably. Yeah. It that was, smell. It was, the, yeah. Welcome to. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, over time, what, what happens is you, you start seeing that beauty, but you see it more in here and you, you get a different way of, of looking at the desert. The, der- the desert's so kind of naked and barren. And I think that's why I think God does his finest work there. He kind mm-hmm. of unravels us and we, and we, uh, we come to ourselves, you know. And there's yeah, a, it's like that peeling of the onion. Peeling of the it onion. It seems to occur a lot uh, in the desert. And when the wind's not blowing, there's just a stillness mm. there, you know, and you can uh, can hear the rattle and hum. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so did you all end up going to? England? We did. We went. Uh, uh, they, uh, Tommy Walker Band probably went three, maybe four times. I went twice with them to to Europe, to Europe, yeah. England, Sweden. I think we were in Canada for a few days, which isn't isn't Europe. I don't think I haven't looked at a map. Lately. Well, they still venerate the queen to a certain extent. <laughs> so they can. So it's like, yeah. Uh, and I look at them side eyed sometimes, and but it, that's it, all right. Yeah. And it was an amazing time. It really was. But boy, that, that, that antinomy, I could really feel it in those places. And the second time coming back from England, I realized I gotta, I gotta go to El Paso. I gotta, mm. I gotta live there for a while because I'd go back to, De- I went back to Denver after the first time and just kind of got back into my, okay, you know, hippies, jazz, not, not a very stable person ways. Mm. Well, when I'd come down here, um, Tommy would, would take me to his brother's church, to Dale's church, okay, Jesus Chapel at the time, then it became Vineyard, and now it's Hope. Heart for the world. No, well, now that the, the well, Dell's yeah, Dell's Dell's is in cruises. Dell's heart for the world, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, you're referring to the one still in El Paso, the, the, yes, because that's where I met my wife, and a okay. lot of really great things happened. And so, uh, Ernie Neri would would go on Sunday nights, and they had this thing called the Afterglow. Mm-hmm. My God, I sound very old. We don't, <laughs> we don't do Afterglow anymore, do we? <laughs> afterglow and felt boards. <laughs> Well, the, everything's cyclical, so I'm sure the felt boards will come back eventually. Sure. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. I've, yeah. got, I've got mine hidden away uh, somewhere just in case. Try and use it in my coaching profession. It doesn't work. Whiteboards work a white, lot better. People yeah. love whiteboards. Yeah. So uh, Ernie Nerio was the worship leader at the time. And here I did feel that harmony then between this music yeah thing that was burning in me and this jesus right well that and that was one of the questions i was going to ask is that schism you had do you think some of that was healed through the uh european tours or do you think the physical location like people you encountered here in el paso helped well, you that's harmonize a great those? question i have no idea okay i think um I think it was all part of it. Mm-hmm. I think what what the tours in England did was just reveal my lostness, mm. um, and um, but it was it was Christian, you know. So I, I course, would feel yeah. that. So then it would be my turn to give up, get up, and give my testimony. <laughs> I'm like. Oh. Uh, uh, and so I, you would you guys would mix that in with the music? Sure, we talk and yeah. yeah. And so I think it was part of it. 
mm. you know, was at least experiencing, hey, there's, there's not these uh, limitations, probably self-imposed in my mind from childhood that you, you can't have it. Have right. So I remember the first worship song I heard Ernie doing. I think it was an old Steve Camp song. And the, the lyrics were something like, um, I know someday I will be free. The weight of sin will be released. But for now, he covers me. And uh, there might be some theological issues with that song, but it, it just hit me. Mm -hmm. I, I had never heard this idea before, that you can really come as you are, that you can be a Christian and still be wrestling with stuff and not have it all figured oh. out and not have to have it all together. Yeah, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Well, when that bleeds into your spirituality, you've got serious problems. Yeah. yeah. So, so something began to, to break there in me about just probably my perceptions of, of God. Yeah. You know? Not that it excuses going and just being a, a sinner without a conscience, but um, that there's this powerful thing called grace, mm -hmm. which is so much more powerful than you know, the rules and the, the doctrines, at least for me, it, 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 it has been. Well, so, I think too, grace is more powerful than our perfectionism. Turns out. Cause yeah. I can fall into that camp too. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, perfection, perfectionism is horrible. You know, yeah. it really, it, 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 it kept me probably from really pursuing uh, a music career full mm. on, you know, because I never thought, well, I'm not good enough and, and I'll never get there. There was always someone better. And I didn't know how to process that as a perfectionist, you know. So I would just uh, wrestle with it. But being a recovering per perfectionist is, is much easier. And like you said, grace is, uh, well, grace doesn't care about our perfection. Right, yeah. Grace points out that we're not perfect <laughs> yeah. and it's better that way, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, grace, if you really embody grace, if you really lean into this idea of grace, it exposes a lot of fallacies that we we make as humans. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's but for now he covers me. Mm -hmm. that, that sense of being covered and being loved and uh, being known and being known by someone who knows you're, absolute worst and it's very dismissive of that because he sees something mm. different in us right something more uh, sacred maybe and that part of us that part of me that as a five-year-old on the piano mm. or you know that night where my heart was being being laid bare you know that's that's the part i think that grace uh, exposes in us maybe this too weird now this is perfect. And I talk about my stamp collecting hobby, if that would be. Do you collect stamps? I used to. Yeah. I used to, too. My parents had this. Uh, it was some special edition <clears throat> duck stamp thing. Oh, man. On an envelope. And I had learned this process of how to remove yes, stamps. Yes, yeah. And the, the stamp water. hinges and, yeah, and all of that. And yeah. I... Uh, I removed those special edition stamps from that envelope. They were not happy. <laughs> this is what this is what stamp collectors and perfectionists 
do in their spare time. And luckily they showed grace and they didn't kill me. <laughs> yeah. I, could see, I can't remember which parent. I think it was my dad. And he doesn't, he didn't get fired up too often about our mistakes, but I could see the fire in his eyes. He wasn't happy about that. Yeah. I was like in third grade, fourth grade time, you know, so I was, you know, my dad's a big dude, six, two. Oh man. And I'm just a little guy. I was like, ah, oh, I fucked this up. <laughs> Whoops. But at that uh, point, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Remove the water, the, the trick, remove it, using water to remove stamps. It worked. It was successful. Every time. Um, no, I, th- I think this idea of being able to you have these two worlds that you think are separate Mm -hmm. and people told you, right? Like you got outside Yeah, I mean there is that narrative in the church that you've got you've got what's sacred and what's profane. And so certain kinds of music Mm -hmm. are are not sacred. That's the naughty music. The naughty music. It's, just, it's <laughs> not that the they devil. would say that. And back in the day, you know, if you played the Beatles music backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And there's probably still some of that that going on. You know, I think we, we need to use discernment in what we expose ourselves to. But, um, you know, the art as its essence, I mean, it's, it, again, it just speaks a larger language, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and grace also speaks a larger language. Well, so- with with Ernie and, and and what I was experiencing there at that church here, uh, Waddell's church at, at the time, this emphasis on the presence of God, the, mm. the felt presence of God, this tangible experience of God, which really undid me. You know, mm. I I'd experienced the whole, uh, you know, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and healing the sick and, and casting out demons and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I was, but but this was. Uh, this was different. Yeah, it, it 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 could include those things, but just that felt presence again. What I felt when I sit down and play the piano, mm. um, and so so yeah, I think that's where a lot of that be, began to get healed and, and integrated. In fact, as, as a as a Christian musician, I was probably way the, the most prolific I've ever been during those those years uh, with Ernie on, on his worship team. I think I did a, a record or two, and then. And then later on, when we did uh, Crossroads, the Crossroads Church, we, mm. you know, so, yeah. And so how did that, as that healing occurred, <clears throat> what was that like? So I guess the juxtaposition would be, you know, you're uh, suicidal, felt lost in Denver. You get, you get connected do the tours you're here in El Paso and you start to feel this healing. And so what, how did that sort of ripple out into your life, into your, 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 I mean, it's all personal, right? But like how you engage the world, I guess. I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) But I met this amazing woman, Carly. That's probably, uh, yeah, she, she is my constant, right? Mm. She keeps me tethered in a great way to (laughs) here and now in reality. So, yeah, I fell in love with this woman, you know, and, and and so I think that was a lot of it. And she has, she has a gift of healing, mm. um, not not the whole where you lay hands on the sick. <laughs> although I've seen her do that. You are healed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but a gift of of healing, a, a deep mercy about her. Right? Mm. There's this fluidity of of love that just, um, and so I think that 
that was a lot. And, and she was... How did you meet her? Uh, at, at Dale's church. There she was. I, wa I walked in and she was playing the piano. And uh, Ernie, Ernie and I uh, used, to, used to joke because uh, he, he didn't really like keyboard players. Mm. Keyboards. He, he'd say, look, there's no, there's no keyboards in heaven, Reef. And then I, that sounds I, like I, something Ernie I, would, I say. would joke with him and say, that's okay. Where you're going, that's all they have is guitar players, dude. So, so, uh, the, the joke at the time was apparently to get on Ernie's worship team, you gotta, you gotta marry in. So I, 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 ah, I so you saw yeah, your in. We, we met, we met there at the church and, and got married there. And, um, you know, she is a true believer. She just had this, uh, very deep, faith and and um you know her own story that that led her to that right. church over the years and and so you know i think a lot of healing happened just mm. in, in having this woman that could love me because, because i'd have just dark seasons weeks where mm. i was just down and depressed didn't know how to talk she she helped draw me up so um and 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 of course just and because I think her commitment to the church, we, we both kind of had that, okay. um, whatever, you know, uh, th that was always in me, even though I, I would be schizophrenic some up between, no, I'm going to be a musician. No, the church is too confining. No, 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 no. It's all for Jesus. And well, so, just the fact that you sold those records. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, thank God for iTunes. <laughs> well, today, yeah, today, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Today we're very blessed. I mean, yes, yeah. we are. We're fortunate yeah. to have that. Um, but uh, so we uh, we made a, 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 a our vows before our vows were to uh, to pursue God at all cost and all mm. speed to to take the road less traveled and see see what it had for us and so. You know, as soon as we got married, we were doing small groups. We started a skater group for kids in our neighborhood. Really? Yeah, they were building half pipes in the backyard. Um, That's incredible. And we just we got more and more involved in, in ministry there, and um, and I was able to do the music. I think for a while mm. I actually played professionally. Did some jazz at the Dome downtown at one of the hotels there. Okay. Um, and and things like that. But the, the, there was enough. I was very drawn to this idea of the presence of God. Right. And, and of course, at that time, they were doing vineyard music, which I remember when I first tried to learn those songs with Ernie, being a jazz musician, I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to just play an E triad. <laughs> so I had to relearn. Uh, you know, the I think fundamentals. That, yeah, I, well, I think that music is more guitar-oriented. So oh, I, had, I had to learn okay. how to think I like see, a, a guitar player. Okay. And uh, you know, was able to to do to do music in that way. And, mm -hmm. You know, Ernie had a huge influence on on me in terms of his music. You know, the guy came more from a rock and roll background, great mm -hmm. musician, incredible singer. And so, you know, he would have his band. I got to be in his band, uh, his outreach band. Okay. You know, that you take to the streets. And yeah. So that was large enough. Plus, I was recording some of my music and writing songs, and and um, yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know if that answers the question on how did that get healed or integrated. Yeah. It just, it just did. It became part of you. It was just, yeah. you were able to embody both or be in both worlds. For sure. Yeah. Be comfortable in your own skin at the same time. Somewhat. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think that is a good description <clears throat> that you used earlier about, you know, having this schizophrenic view hmm. of 
one or the other, you know, and it's, I mean, not in those same ways, but it's, I'm more comfortable when something's black and white. Mm. So it's one or the other. And then, you know, as I've gotten older or gotten older, this, this gray area where it's like, nah, sometimes it's both. And it makes me in my depths of my personality. It, initially it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like, no, it's got to be black and white. Like, yeah. Yes or no. <laughs> well, and the thing is to move towards the discomfort. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. That's yeah. In our better moments, we do. We're usually kicking and screaming, I guess, yeah. to be more honest. But yeah, and you know, the vineyard has a theology, a kingdom theology, which they could sum up in kind of a bumper sticker saying, you know, it's it's both and, mm -hmm. um, which is a knife's edge. You know, mm -hmm. both and is is a tough is a tough place to to walk in and and, and stand. But yeah, it it can be it can be both. Yeah. And so. I don't. I don't know the time frame of this, or I've only heard the legend. Oh no! Of crossroads. The legend of crossroads. <laughs> it's very Jacob similar. Jacob running up the walls. Yes, Jacob. Um, if you've ever played the game, The Legend of Zelda, it's, it's very, very similar. It was inspired. <laughs> Zelda was inspired, inspired by crossroads. So crossroads happened. So De er Ernie came out to to plant a church, and uh, and I ended up being the worship leader there at Dale's church for. A short season and, and the youth pastor so um, um and this was after david morrison had, had gone out to to start his church so I, on the I, east side yeah so okay. I, so you know we've got the great mystic leading the youth group and here comes reef <laughs> we're gonna do jazz no we are gonna pray and fast no we're gonna we're gonna fast jazz and only do polka. No, we're gonna we're gonna do mud wrestling for Jesus out in the desert. Well, so I, I met with Dale and said, "Hey, how do I grow this youth group? I mean, I, I really want to to reach kids that don't know Jesus, that don't do the church thing." He said, "Well, go interview a bunch of them. Go just start talking to kids and oh, ask them." So it was a, a a novel idea for me. So we'd go do outreaches at Parkland, Irvine, Andrus, and, and we just hand out water. And uh, Rich Prater was there. He'd do belching contests with the kids. <laughs> But I would ask them questions like, hey, uh, what turns you off about church? Mm. And they would, they would say what they would say. And, and well, if you were ever going to go to church and you could have it however you want, what would it look like? Well, of course, you know, pizza, music, uh, games, uh, not too starchy and stuffy religious-wise, right. uh, a place of acceptance. Someone where people can be teenagers. Yeah, or... or, or um, uh, they, they were looking for someone like Jesus, I think, in the Gospels. Mm. <laughs> he didn't seem to to have too much black and white in terms of yeah, the company yeah. he kept. So, and so, you yeah. walk into a church, and on a it's, certain level, you're not experiencing the gospel. Yeah, if if it's interesting, right? It's part yeah. of that both end. The, the yeah, same exactly. religion that reveals this vast mystery of God can also make you feel like you're on the outside, mm. depending on your your stories and the the bent of the <laughs> yeah. particular church's denomination. Well, so what happened one day is I was home for lunch. Uh, we lived just down the road from that church, and, and the secretary called and said, hey, David, you need to get up here. I'm like, what's up? She goes, there's like 30 kids here asking for you. I'm like, okay. Well, one of the kids was, uh, their mom was taking her to school that morning, stopped at a traffic light, and dropped dead. 
And so, so the mom did or the, the mom, the mom did. Wow. And so all these kids are devastated. And I think Shane Neural at the time was like, I know who we can talk to. Let's go talk to this guy. So here comes all these kids. And, uh, that was before crossroads, but I think that was the start of it. There was just something wow. there. So did you already have a friendship or relationship with Shane or he just knew you from these interviews? I just knew him from when we'd go to his school, <laughs> you know, and he was, he was, wow. uh, now I, I, you know, I'm not very linear sometimes of in my course, memory, right, right, right. memories, but yeah, I think Shane was, was, I met him at Parkland. Right? Okay. And, um, so long story short about that time, uh, governor George W. Bush of Texas at the time created a program he wanted to to really tackle the at-risk youth in Texas. And so they identified the top 10 zip codes in Texas with the highest juvenile crime. And the beautiful thing about El Paso was we're, we're frequently number one <laughs> at a lot of things. So we were in that top 10, they, uh, the place called the Devil's Triangle, 79924. So they said, Reef, you should apply for the grant. Well, we did. And I just took all the things the kids said. Well, we want to have a mm. kind of a, a, a very uh, free-form environment, a safe place for kids to come, do games, get some tutoring, get some mentoring, and just hang out. Yeah. And uh, they said, this is brilliant. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how it started. It started as a coffee house. In fact, uh, we, we really downplayed the idea of church. So we did coffee mm. house several nights a week. And then... And it was just... Like you said, a hangout. A hangout. Bands would come. Okay. You know, the local kids would come and do their bands and mosh pits, hacky sack in the alley, lots of nefarious stuff going on. We had to have security guards at times. But but then on Sunday nights, we'd do church. Uh, and uh, we'd, we'd invite the kids to come. And I learned about this idea of the presence of God. Now, the first time I did it, I'm up there by myself with my little keyboard playing my Jesus songs. And I felt like Daniel in the lion's den, you know, <laughs> so the kids are all out in the alley smoking their cigarettes, just like, we're not going in there. <laughs> like, What's going on here? But uh, I, I think I might have had a Pied Piper gift and one by one they would come in. Mm. And this was amazing to me because I'd never seen it. Kids that really didn't know Jesus, they didn't have, they didn't know, oh, this is how you behave in church, would come in. And this was over the course of weeks or months. Right. And building relationship right of out in that alley. Something would happen during the, we call it the worship time, right? With the music. And we'd say God would fall. The Holy Spirit would come and these kids would be undone. They'd be crying. They'd be laughing. They'd be, they would pray for one another. How did they know to pray for one another? You know, um, We did have to institute a, 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 a no PDA. Is that what it is? No public displays of affection. It's like guys does a fine line between comforting and praying. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and petting. And petting, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you're like one. There's one rule of crossroads. So I, I learned more about Jesus from the from the Shane Neurals and, and those kids. Yeah. Uh, and about salvation and healing and grace than than I ever thought I knew. And so. Here, here, then I got to marry my love for Jesus and music, right? Yeah. And um, so it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. We did that for about 18 years. And do you want me to keep talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did? No, no, no. Yeah. Um, so I had a, a weird, I probably had more like a revivalist theology. I'd read the great revivals and, okay. you know, just this idea that if you just 
call out to God, you fast, you pray, and you're thirsty enough, God will fall. So leading up to Crossroads or like during that 18 years? Probably early on at Crossroads. Probably between the time I was on staff there at Dale's Church as a youth Mm -hmm. pastor and and, and worship leader and then trying to figure out what we're going to do at church, okay? Right. Because Dale essentially sent me out then to plant that church. Crossroads. Crossroads, yeah. What's our vision? Mm. And it, it was a combination of things. To me, the best story for that would be the prodigal son. Yeah. Because I had lived that. Everybody's lived that. Everyone's you know? lived that. That's the gospel. That's grace. That's all the religiousness. It's all the ways we get it right and wrong. And, and well, as you, as you, the longer you live, you realize you're embodying the son that left, the son that stayed. Sometimes you are the father welcoming back. Yeah. The sun, you know what I mean? Mostly I think I'm just the pig in the pig pen. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you're the pig. Mm. (laughs) The the vision though, I thought, well, you know, let's, I I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was something I read. I do remember reading at one time, uh, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. And it's, I think somewhere in the introduction in that book, it might not be that book, but it, it was something he wrote. That if you're gonna have, you need to have a vision for your generation that's both timely and timeless. That idea. Mm. So I thought, well, I want to win a generation to Jesus Christ, which I know probably sounds very presumptuous and okay, boomerish, but it was. It, I think it came from that place. That little five-year-old guy that's like, yeah. I've discovered music. I've discovered Jesus. What if we could mix those things together and yeah. have? Reese's peanut butter cups, you know. Oh, and I don't think it's okay, boomerish if it's it's coming from that authentic place. Yeah, and I think I think it was. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I think there was a lot of naivety on my mm-hmm. part, a lot right. of altruism, and and I didn't know how to run a church, mm-hmm. right? But I knew that fire and that wildness mm-hmm. and that wow. If 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 what would happen? If, if some kids, some young people came to this alley and got that fire, and I, I just, I saw it spreading all over the, the planet. Of course, that never really happened that way that I know of. And um, and just the revivalist thing, like revivals just, they happen in the most unlikely right, places, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. the, the, the mythology of it anyways, right? Of the, course, of the course. The Street and a barn, and here we are in, literally in an alley. And uh, And, you know, I think for a time we did have, that sense of revival where just anything could happen and God would God would show up, right? In tangible ways. And people's hearts would be healed and their their lives would be be healed. And they they caught something. And we didn't have a lot of the because I didn't have you know, I didn't go to Bible school and uh, we, we didn't have a lot of the theology to explain under the doctrines mm. that, that can be helpful. Right. That can create a great container. <clears throat> but they can sometimes hinder that. I, I don't think that, well, I, I know, ha- having lived through it, it's not sustainable, you know. Yeah, I, mm. I, I could no more you know, call down fire than I can control the wind, but the fire did come, and I think it burned really bright and very fierce, and it impacted all of us. And then that grace, mm. it kind of lifted, you know. Now, you could talk to everybody who was there those last few years, and you're gonna, we're going to hear different stories because we all have our own perceptions. But it was like uh, the dinner party was over, but we didn't 
We didn't know what to do about oh. that. So I'm being told, well, hey, you know, you got to grow your church. Here's what a healthy church does. And, and so I, I'm going, I'm reading the brochures. I'm going to the conferences. I'm trying to, you know, clean my act up. I got a haircut. You know, let's, let's, uh, let's have scheduled service times. Let's start on time, end on time. Let's have a kid's ministry. Let's, and all of those things are great. They just weren't crossroads. Well, it wasn't, I mean, from what I'm hearing, it wasn't what was authentically you. I don't know. It was the like cookie cutter, like this is what a quote unquote healthy church is. Yeah. And, and I think my church probably tried to tell me that at the time. But... <laughs> you just didn't hear it. Well, I, I wanted that church to grow. Okay. I see. I, I wanted, and, and I thought, man, we need a better container. Mm. And, you know, I would, I was studying theology more at the time and trying okay. to, well, what happened was about five, five years before Crossroads um, shut down, I woke up one morning, probably my late, mid, late forties. And, and I had this weird thought, I don't ever want to do this again. Wow. I don't want to be around church people. We had too many church people. No offense against church people. I am one or I was one, but it felt too churchy. It was so far from from what it used to be. At least it felt that way in my heart. It was and no longer the kids <clears throat> playing hacky sack. No, no, no. We, 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 got, we set up rows of chairs, yeah. you know, we had. Uh, and, uh, and that was five years before right, the end. Yeah, it was, a, it was a significant burnout. And I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to preach another sermon. It wasn't that I didn't want to believe in God anymore. I just didn't want to do it anymore. Well, this was disturb disturbing to me. So I won't get into all of that here, but... Uh, but we had to deal with that burnout and it took quite a few years. Was it similar to that, uh, that schism you had between music and God early on in your life? It, but now it was God and not wanting to do the church thing anymore. You know, I don't know. Mm. That's, a, that's a wonderful question. I don't know that I would frame it in those terms okay. because I think, uh, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I would, I would equate it to burnout, mm -hmm. which just, I mean, the thing about doing a church that way is it's very blue collar, right? I, it's not just you get together and Hey, we have this wonderful and we all go home. I'm the guy mopping mm -hmm. sometimes I'm plugging toilets, trying to figure out a sermon. Um, and so are all those that were, were there and participating and volunteering. So I think some of that. And, you know, a church in an alley for young people, I mean, really, what, what's the shelf life of that? I hadn't thought about that at the time, mm. right? Well, you have but, to keep reinventing it because kids are changing. You, you do, yeah. If you want yeah. it for long term. Yeah, if and you want to do it for long term. Well, now, now you tell me. <laughs> I wasn't around. And, uh, I was so, blacked out in the Navy somewhere. So part of, part of why I don't know how to answer your question, what, was it similar to that schism, is I think I was also experiencing some disillusionment. Mm. Right? So burnout, I've learned, comes from doing the doing things the wrong way. Often the right things, doing doing the right things the wrong way, and where mm. you're maybe way too attentive to the needs of others, and you're neglecting your, your own care, self self right. care. Right. Yeah, because you can't pour out of an empty cup. Disillusionment's a little trickier. Disillusionment means a freeing from false beliefs. We say we're disillusioned, but we don't say, this is so freeing. I'm being freed from false beliefs. But that's literally what it means. So, mm -hmm. so I think that that got mixed together. And uh, 
Well, because a lot of times the ego wants to hold on to the whatever the disillusionment is. It's like, no, 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 it's worked for us in the past. We can, we can re, we can, we can keep doing this. We'll win, we'll win again with this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my apologies to anybody that that was, and and, and a debt of gratitude for, for people that really went the distance there across with. Mm. I, I was probably not an easy leader to follow because yeah, okay, we're just doing all of this, and I get up one Sunday and say, hey, we're not going to do kitchens for a while, and then God's called us to all be together in in the big room mm-hmm. and just pray, you know. Yeah. Hey guys, we're going to start doing contemplative prayer now so mm-hmm. during church service we're just gonna have five minutes of silence and this is you know this was contrary in some ways to what, right. what who we had been so i was experiment experimenting i was exploring i think i was i was that deeper river was 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 uh was grabbing my attention um, mm. and it wasn't enough to just to do the stuff anymore yeah and uh, I was losing friends. See, a community had been formed. It was like my family, right? And they were they were leaving. And in a church like that, it seems when you leave the church, you're not just leaving the church; you're leaving friendship. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so there was there was a lot of pain in those last few years, and we really tried to address it through okay. Um, let's let's lay off some of the. All, a lot of the activities mm. we came across this idea from Pete Schizero that that you cannot grow spiritually and remain emotionally unhealthy or broken right. so we begin to address that well and the thing is it's, it's very hard to if you're a doctor it's very hard to teach people open-heart surgery while you at the same time are learning yeah. open-heart surgery oh and and doing it on yourself right. so uh, a lot of grace was 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 used up there I think and uh, I, I I'm realizing our time is, is probably coming to an end, and I'm just getting started here, dude. Well, and I, we're we're close, but we still got some time. The one question that really is interesting to me, sort of hearing this, it sounds like you're kind of witnessing the church dissolve. It's gone away, and so how how many years ago was that? Uh, it'll be seven years this fall. Okay. Uh, and so I think the thing that pops in my mind is like, how has that informed you today? Having the, the church dissolve, yeah. having this thing that you, that burned so brightly in your life and impacted a lot of people, right? And, and one thing I did, I, just to back up a step, you know, you were talking about this generational change um, and just some of the stories I've heard from Crossroads is that the people that have encountered that have gone out into the world. So it is a generational change just because maybe you can't point to like, oh, this bigger thing grew. But like if you just, all the people that have yeah. disseminated. Um, but back to the the question, like how is, you know, yeah that dissolving and, and now seven years later with a little bit of time to be retrospective sure, about it. Sure, sure. Uh, can we pause for a minute? I have to go to the bathroom. Oh. Are you being serious? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. They doubled up on the thing there. Um, <clears throat> we took a pause to reset. Um, 
Yeah. So now that you're seven years removed from from Crossroads uh, closing their doors, how how has that informed sort of how you engage life today? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a big question. Um, I was really devastated when Crossroads ended. Right. Um, and those last five years, I mean, it was was like watching a loved one on life support. You know, you're praying uh -huh. for a miracle, you're hoping for a miracle, you're you're doing everything you can to to try and resurrect this this mm. um and and it just the, the the miracle doesn't come, right? Right. Now God God is the God of miracles. I've seen enough of them. Yeah, so uh, as, to, as, to as know that. But but sometimes the resurrection doesn't happen. Sometimes to, to not to sound like a preacher, but Sometimes, unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it, it is. So, what you alluded to, yeah, there there are many that um, have really gone on to to serve powerfully and and uh, be 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 quite a bright light, mm -hmm. I think, for for Christ and and uh, even even the ones that maybe didn't go on in a church way. I I bump into them, right? You know, in random ways, and and there was something very magical about those years and. Uh, and I, I got to the point where I, I didn't know the difference between me and Crossroads. It was my, my baby, my whole identity. So, so when, and, and, and things would be way too personal. When someone would leave, it was personal. You know? Even if they didn't intend it to be personal. Of course. Which I think some of them did. <laughs> because this is, what Christians, this is what Christians do when we get sideways with one another. We look for someone to blame. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm an easy target. I don't think that's just Christians. I think that's no, just human nature. No, no. We like to point outwardly. Yeah, because, because uh, if, we'll, if we'll quiet the blame, maybe, maybe the thing with blame is it, it keeps us from real, really feeling the wound. And the pain of it, right? Mm. So it was very, very difficult for me to to come to that place of of closing it down. Yeah. Um, and and uh, how has it informed things? Well, I feel a bit in spiritual exile, to be honest. Okay. You know? um, I kind of feel like what the guy that landed on the moon, where do you go from being the first guy to walk on the moon? Everything else maybe just feels like a job at seven eleven, you know? Does well, that make sense? And so so we had this amazing thing. Mm. And and yeah, I, I got to be the pastor, but it was like home for me. Right. And it was I like get, sitting down and, at that and, piano and, for yeah, the first time. And after exactly, very much. And after a while I thought, okay. You know, I, I, I thought we'd plant the church. I'd turn it over to a more established pastor, someone yeah. that could, could maybe be a little more structured, and, and I'd move on and do the next church. Well, it, so I thought, okay, well, this is it. we got to make this work. Mm. Not to mention by now I'm in my early 50s, and I'm thinking, okay, what's my job resume? Jazz musician, ultra runner, preacher in an alley. Right. So, yeah. so, so my livelihood, you know, as unspiritual as that sounds, that was really weighing on me, you know, not that we were making a lot of money at Crossroads, but at least it was, it was covering something. the bills. What will I do mm. in my mid fifties, which is, uh, I'll come back sometime if, if, if yeah. it would be uh, welcome and I could tell you some of that story. But the, uh, there's a word that I think the church uses called deconstruction. I, I personally hate the word. <laughs> 
um, because I think it's well, it's been popular popularized in a weird way in the yeah. last few years. Yeah. Again, the the question that becomes, well, who who's being dis- deconstructed? The people that find themselves in exile, or the mm. church? But whatever the word is, there's been an unraveling. Mm-hmm. But that little kid that encountered Christ and his heart was exploding, that remains. Um, my my children, we have two two children, Rachel and Elijah, amazing, beautiful people. They are both considered medical miracles, which mm-hmm. I don't know how that works. Is it medical or is it a miracle? This is what doctors say when they're like, well, we did the medicine and it didn't work, but it still worked. It's a medical miracle. Um, the, the countless lives we saw uh, transformed over the years, like, that's that's amazing stuff, um, and and that remains when I sit down and play. And and recently I've returned to my roots. I've started playing jazz again. Nice. And uh, I can feel that wildness and that expansiveness and that largeness of soul. I don't know what what will come of it, but um, I sometimes feel lost. Not as in, oh my God, I'm going to hell. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I thought, well, I should just go back to church. Well, you know, at Crossroads, we always said this, this isn't church. This is a building where a bunch of Christians or wannabe Christians meet. Church is what happens when we leave this place and we go do this mm-hmm. stuff in, in the world. Well, yeah, I, 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 I think I long for spiritual community, but I haven't been actively looking for it. Right. I find it here with with you, Dorian, with uh, conversations like this with David, with the, a lot of you guys here at Desert Ray, somewhat in the work I do in, in coaching. But um, that way of doing church has been unraveled. Like it doesn't work for me. Yeah. It does, it, yeah. I'm not saying it's wrong and, oh, my God, the church is so screwed up. No more than we have been for 2,000 years. Right. <laughs> Since day um, one. <laughs> but But something has shifted in me. And I think part of, you know, maybe on a more existential level, why did Crossroads end? Because that wildfire can no longer be contained in that mm-hmm. place. And so like you mentioned, hey, there's people that are out there and they're, they're doing things. And you know, Shane's a great example. And Shane's a great and example. Amazing, Love that guy. amazing guy. And, yeah. And others, Annie, Donnie, and Lori mm-hmm. and the work they do. Um, uh, so, you know, I think where I'm at now is... Um, I'm able to come to a podcast like this and talk about my faith, yeah. which I haven't been able or willing to do for some time in a, in a format where maybe others might hear it. Um, I don't know if there's a place for me. I think some days. Yeah. I don't want to, quote unquote, go back to church. And, and I kind of hate that about myself. So you can see I still wrestle with these, of course. these, with these things. But... I'm not going to, I can't fake it either. Yeah. You know? And so. Uh, well, your authenticity is what lit that fire, that wildfire that was Crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Well, it's, it's, you said something earlier about, you know, this idea of, of timely and timeless. Mm. And later in the conversation, it dawned on me that that, what happened to you with uh, your heart beating at five years old 
was that's what that was. It was timely because you remember it, but it's, but it's timeless. It's, yeah, it's yeah. stretched the the entirety of your life. Yeah. Um, thank you, man. Sure. Thank you for having me. I Do you? Uh, I would like to give you an opportunity. Uh, you mentioned the coaching stuff that you're doing today. Do you want to like if people hear this and and feel inspired and want to touch base, like reach out to you? Is there email or phone number or something to contact sure. you? And, yeah, and you can call me or email me. My my email is reefcoaching at gmail dot com. R e e f coaching at gmail dot com. We'll throw um, that in the the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you, man. Thank um, you, Dorian. Yeah, just for a little, I've been maybe a year, been trying to wrangle you into this. Yeah. And I, I've I been difficult. You. Yeah. You know, because uh, you know, the, the wounds of love, the people that wound us the most are the ones that love us the most, mm -hmm. the ones that we love the most. And, um, and so, you know, it's been a lot of unpacking that oh. and uh, learning a, a deeper shade of love and letting go and wanting to be authentic in, yeah. in talking about these things and not um, feel judged or, or say something in a way that would maybe um, put someone or something in a, in a poor light or... So, you know, I think I wrestle with that, that religiousness maybe or yeah. uh, my my made-up ideas and expectations of what, what will people think. And that's not as, as loud, but honestly, I don't know most days what I think on this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, in a sense, I, I felt like I just put God over here for a while and I needed to figure out how to pay the bills. Mm. And I, I think that uh, for a while I would tell Carly, my wife, you know, calling is overrated. It's made up. Friendship, overrated. It's made up. Well, of course, call, calling and friendship being two things essential for a life well lived. But I think that our vocation and calling get, get so intertwined. Mm -hmm. I that, can, yeah. That when, 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 when that vocation, in my case, Crossroads, got, got taken away, I... I was pretty disillusioned about yeah. the idea of calling, not realizing, which I'm coming to see now, that calling, I think our calling maybe can change. Mm -hmm. There probably is a timely part to it and a timelessness part mm -hmm. to it, but but it's going to find different expressions. And so that's the journey I'm on right now. Yeah, I do, I do life and personal and business coaching, but it's all about that, helping people find uh, who are you really? Yeah. Where's the fire that burns in you? Um, um, where's that little five-year-old in you that yeah. saw something wild and, and wants to know what that's about? You know, and it it's bring, not all that it's brings not, you alive. Yeah, you know that which brings you life. And so, uh, I do appreciate you uh, bugging me for a year or two. To yeah, do man. This. I hope it hasn't been too much of a, a disappointment for you. It's been beautiful, dude. Thank you. You bet. I fucking love you, man. <laughs> I love you too. Um, and we even, I know I told you about this off mic, but if anyone's interested, uh, there's an episode with Jonathan Steele uh, that might be the week before we release this one. I'm not sure of the timing yet, but 
uh, he talks about some of the coaching you guys did in that episode. And so um, an example of someone uh, where a fire has been lit mm. over the last, uh, it's a, an evolution over six years, but um, yeah, well, I just want to give a shout out to the Desert Rain community and thank all of all of you guys for the way you've loved me and my family over the years, and always been a place of refuge that that I we could come out to and mm. and uh, there's something very special about this place. I mean, yeah. physically there yeah. is and spiritually sure. there is, and to uh, to be loved and not judged and yeah. to to it's a very it's a very precious space for me. So I'm very grateful to, yeah. to Desert Rain, Dorian, you for, for bringing the stories out of people. And uh, thanks, man. Well, I'm grateful for, for our friendship. Yeah. So more, um, more to come. More to come. Uh, as you can hear in the background, that's uh, you talked about Ernie Nedia, his son, uh, makes the monk drums. And that's what you hear in the background right now. Uh, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, theruined.com. Um, you can hear other episodes of this podcast wherever you found this one or uh, drcrpod.com is the other place uh, you can find them. And uh, thank you for listening.